Well, I hope you've got your scripture journal with you or you've got your Bible open. If you're just joining us for the first time, we are ded- we've dedicated this year, even before the COVID crisis began, to exploring, focusing on Jesus and Jesus alone. And so each week we've been asking the question, who is Jesus, what's his mission, what's his ministry, and what's it matter to your world and your life, what's it matter to my life and my world? And we've been using the Gospel of Luke as our launching place for that. And a gospel is simply the life, the mission, the teachings, the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus. It's a historical account, especially the gospel of Luke is that. And so we've been letting Luke, this author that wrote so many years ago and did diligent research to to guide us in this journey. And so at this point, we're up to Luke chapter 18. So I want you to open your Bibles or get your scripture journal out. And if you've got a scripture journal, we're going to be on page 128. And if you've got your app open, have something ready to write with, because there's a lot that we're going to cover here. And I'm actually going to try to go through four stories that Luke presents to us. Because when you originally read this, it seems like these are four disconnected stories. But I believe that Luke writes with a very specific purpose and an intention. And so the way he structures these stories, he's putting these four together because he wants us to understand an overarching message. And there's, there's some takeaways that he wants us to have. So we're going to move through these stories. There's a thread running through them, and I'll show you that thread as we go. But as you're finding Luke chapter 18, we're going to deal with the question of what's it mean to approach God? What, what's it mean to interact with Jesus? And I'll be honest, growing up, even though I grew up in a, in a household that was a church going and my parents both were Christians and raised us in the church to believe God as a child still seemed far off to me. Maybe that's an experience that you've had. Maybe that still describes where you are right now. That there's a sense that that you know he's there, you know he's real, he just seems so unapproachable. He, He seems so at an arm's distance. He seems so slightly out of out of reach. It seems so awkward, this idea that you could actually approach him. Or perhaps maybe even you have such regret and you've got some shame and some guilt and you can remember that season of life or that decision or that action or that behavior or that addiction or whatever that you feel, I'm disqualified. And I'm now, for whatever reason, out of reach. Or perhaps this is more you that you feel like whatever your concerns are, whatever is burdening you, whatever has got you uh, stressed out, that's too insignificant to bug God with. That's too minuscule to bug God with. And so you feel unimportant and insignificant because, well, you seem insignificant the rest of your life. Why would God be any different in that moment? Or maybe you just feel isolated somehow. That there's something that your prayers, they don't seem to go above the ceiling. They don't seem to make it out of the room. And they seem to die right there as they come out of your mouth. Well, if you've experienced any of those things, any of this sense of what it's like having difficulty to approach God, then here's what I want you to understand as we launch in this. Luke 18 is for you. This may be your favorite chapter when we get done. 
Because Luke is telling a side of Jesus or a, a part of his characteristic, part of his nature, that we need to understand when it comes to approaching Jesus and approaching God. And just even before we get into the, read the first verse of 18, that's one thing that you've got to understand about Christianity. See, Christianity has a very unique claim. All religious systems have a means by which you connect with the deity of that system. But Christianity alone has a unique one. All other systems, there's instruction and direction and guidance and teaching on how you reach God. It's only in the Christian message that it's God in the person of Jesus that He reaches us, that He was willing to step out of heaven, step off the high place, come down, walk on this planet in the mess that we are, and bridge the gap that existed. So, others are how to seek God. Christianity, following Jesus, is about God seeking you. And so, with that in mind, Jesus is going to give us some instruction today. The one that came to bridge that gap is going to give us instruction on how we approach God. And God the Father and God the, the Son are the God that we serve. And so if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 18. And here we go. First verse alone. And he told them a parable. Now a parable is a story. So he's given a sermon illustration. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always, that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Now pause just a second right there. Jesus is doing something very unique with this parable. He doesn't often give us the purpose behind the parable, but he gives us one of the takeaways right away. He is doing this so that you will pray often without losing heart. Now, why does he say that? Because Jesus understands something about us. He knows that at times we can be prayerful and we can begin to become discouraged and lose heart, right? Now, we can lose heart for many reasons. Sometimes we lose heart because it seems like God's on a different calendar than us, right? That, that we're praying for something to happen, we're praying for something to happen, we're praying for something to happen, and in our timeline, in our expectation, nothing is happening. And there's seasons of your life that you've gone through, perhaps, and you prayed a passionate prayer, and it seemed like God was silent. I just want to say that we've, as we go into this, we have to understand that what Jesus is going to talk about and describe is the fact that God's going to have a different calendar than us. God has a different perspective than us. See, I remember as a kid and how eager you were to look and till, till Christmas. And even when you hit December 1st, Christmas still seemed like a year away. And it just seemed like it was never going to get there. And the hours leading up to, to Christmas, it just seemed like to go by ever so slowly. And from that perspective, it was like, will it ever, ever get here? And then we had kids. And it seemed like we'd just wrap up one Christmas and the next Christmas is already back on top of us without being prepped and planned for it yet. Well, that's somewhat of God's perspective. From His view, He's powerful and he's active and he's moving but it may not be on our clock it may not be on our timetable 
At the same time, I want to encourage you with this. There's often times in our life where God is moving in quick. You pray a prayer, and it seems like you see a result immediately. Or there's often times where you haven't even prayed for something, but if you step back and you pause and you look, you would see in your life God's grace and His power working out even in your daily life. We just don't slow down to become aware of it. So Jesus wants to teach us to pray, to approach God, and He wants to give us a posture to do it in. Not to earn God's favor, but so that you don't lose heart in the middle of whatever you're praying. So he tells them this story. And this is a story designed to encourage, not to bring you guilt. He said, I'm in verse 2, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cried to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, he will find faith on earth. So, Jesus paints a story of two characters. And he gives the judge, and he tells us right off the bat, the, the judge is nobody to be admired. He's nobody to be considered. He, he doesn't respect men. He doesn't respect God. He's a jerk in every sense of the word. But he has a position of power. And then he describes a widow. And you need to understand, in the power structure of the day, a widow would have fallen near the bottom of the power structure. Because without a husband, she loses lots of legal standing. She has no advocate on her behalf. And so here's a widow, the one that's at the bottom of the power structure, and she needs justice. And if you want, I want you to look back through this verse, and if you've got a pen out or your highlight in your app, go back and circle the word justice and see how many times it appears. She's seeking justice. Now, let's talk about the word just for a second, because justice is like the word justify, and if you're familiar with anything in typing or or page layout, to justify, when you justify the font, what do you do? You line it up. You make it right. You put it in, in order. And so justice, in the very sense of the word, is anytime something's made right. So there is some wrong that she's experienced. And now she's crying out for that wrong to be made right, for justice to be served. And that's an important word for us today. As we look around our world, and the different struggles that we have, and the different um, tragedies that occur, and families cry out for justice, whether it be a shooting or, or a, a tragedy of some kind, and they want to cry out for, for justice. And we ask the question, when will justice be served? When will it be made right? When, when will justice for all the problems that we have be undone? And when will those be made right, set in line, put in order? She's crying out for this justice. And again, she's at the bottom of the power structure, so she has no advocate for her. She has no way to to plead her case other than persistently go to this judge. 
And if she's going to see justice, the judge is going to have to act. She can't get it on her own. She has no means for that. So I'd invite you to think about a season in your life or an issue, something that brings you great concern that you would seek justice right now. It's something that's bigger than you can make right on your own. Is it one of the issues that's in our world? Is it the racial issue? Is it the problem, the plague around our world of sex trafficking? Is it something to do with addictions that have run rampant? Is it perhaps more personal maybe? Maybe it's something going on in your family structure that you just can't seem to make right and it's bigger than you. What is your persistent plea to God that's on your heart, that's burdening you? That helps us identify with where this widow's coming from. And so what does she do? She takes her, she takes her case again and again and again. And she just keeps coming to him saying, I need justice, I need justice. Give me justice against the adversary. And that what I, what I love about this is the judge responds, and again, he's a jerk. He says, but because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Now, there's a, there's a phrase, a beat down. You've been involved in a beat down? Now, if you've got a toddler in the house, some days it can be like a beat down, right? She just keeps coming, and she doesn't give up. And this unrighteous judge relents, and then Jesus does this sort of turn. He says, if the unrighteous judge will see that things are made right, how much more so will a good father make it right? How much more so will God, the righteous judge, make it right? How much more will he go in on your behalf? If an unrighteous one's willing to... to to go into action, how much more so will God go into action? And so here's, here's the first takeaway I want us to have from this. is this. Come to God with a purposeful persistence. That, that as we approach God, it's not because our prayers are falling on deaf ears. It's because He is a good, good Father and He's inviting us into a relationship with Him that says, come to me with this purposeful persistence. It's not a bother to God. That's not the point of the parable. The point is be persistent and be purposeful in it. Not, not a prayer here and a prayer there, but if you've got it on your heart and it's a burden in your life, keep bringing it back to God. Or Maybe another way to put it, maybe you're familiar with this acronym because it's been around for a while. PUSH. P-U-S-H. Pray until something happens. There's the invitation because God is the God of justice. And He invites us to be in prayer and continue to be praying until something happens. Now, again, our calendars may be different. Oftentimes, I operate with a stopwatch. God operates with a calendar. And so, we're to be prayerful and praying for things that are larger than ourselves and persistently pursuing God in that, knowing that the just God the righteous judge will be responsive and things will be made right. Well, Jesus goes on and he gives us a second story. And so verse 9, he picks up and he also told this parable, this sermon illustration. To someone, to some, 
who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Now I know that doesn't describe any of us, right? That, that nobody has ever experienced this, where somebody treated you with contempt or you treated somebody else with contempt. But for those that have struggled with this, Jesus gives this, gives this parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee. And a Pharisee would be a highly respected religious leader, a good guy. And the other, a tax collector. Now, we can make all the jokes we want about tax collectors and how unpopular they'd be in today's world. But understand, in this first century context, they were the sellouts and the traitors. They're the ones that were part of the system that was oppressing the Jewish people. And so a tax collector would be at the very bottom of the respect. So you have two men at opposite ends of the spectrum if we were to judge them from our point of view. If we were to compare ourselves to them, we would want to look like the Pharisee, not like the tax collector. And so two guys go, and they go to the temple, and they're going to pray. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Two men in the same place, both seeking to be what? Justified. There's our word again. Seek to be made right. And so the Pharisee begins his prayer, but I want you to notice the number of times he uses the word I in his prayer. Five times he refers to himself. I've done this. I've done this, I've done this, and, I, and he plays the comparison game. And he keeps himself from comparing, or he tries to compare himself to others. And so he looks around and he says, I'm better than. At least I'm not like. And ultimately he points to this tax collector across the, the way and says, I'm glad I'm not him. I'm glad I'm not a sellout. And so what does he have? He has this confidence in his own righteousness. And then we get to hear the prayer of the tax collector. And he says, as he beats his breast, he doesn't even look up to God because he doesn't know how to approach God because he feels like God's not even going to pay attention to him. So he just cries out. For the only thing he can cry out for is, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that's the only self-reference that he makes. And then Jesus does this incredible turn. He says, guess which one walked away justified? And all those listening to the crowd that day would have been shocked at the answer because they expect to be the Pharisee and yet it's the tax collector that walks away. Just made right because the Pharisee was not trusting in God's ability to make him right. He was trusting in his own ability. And the tax collector knew that the only thing that he could even begin to ask for is mercy because that's what he needed. So here's the second takeaway that I want you to take from this. I want you to come to God in humility, not hubris. Come to God humbly, not prideful. Come to God trusting in His righteousness, not your own righteousness. Because we cannot work to earn God's favor. Now, I know you may have heard preaching like that your entire life, that somehow 
God expects you to jump so high or try harder or get it right at some point. And all that becomes is a trust in our own righteousness. And what that builds in us is when we learn to have trust in our own self-righteousness, guess what we start looking at everybody else with? It's contempt. See, if, if you want to look at other people with mercy, then what you must first do is you must first realize how much you're in need of mercy. And when we come to an understanding of, I look in the mirror each day and I see my own need for mercy, that keeps me from looking out the window and having contempt on you. And so that's a radical difference and a radical change. And God's inviting that kind of relationship to have. He wants to extend mercy, not because you've earned it. See, see, grace is not earned because that's what He extends. And we can grow in our relationship with others. And I think we actually struggle with this. And I don't know what your background is, but in the church tradition that I've grown up in, and it's not unique to us in the Church of Christ, but in several, and this is going to step on some toes, we struggled with this because for a long time we thought we had church right. And I even can remember as a small child hearing prayers and class teachers that would say something to the effect of, God, we're so grateful that we worship you in truth, unlike... And then they would name some other church in town. Because our form of worship, supposedly, was the right form. So that's a form of self-righteous. That's a form of trusting in what we've done, not what God's done for us. And so we come out of humility and approach not out of hubris. The next one's a, a passage you're very familiar with. And we, we've often heard this one. Maybe you've even seen it stitched on a wall somewhere. Verse 15. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them. For, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So what's going on here? People are bringing their babies to see Jesus. Now, anytime you have a baby, you're proud of it. We've even been proud in, during quarantine. I've, I've seen so many pictures of babies that have been posted during quarantine of the grandparents showing, look at our new grandchild. And you're so proud because you're convinced that is the most beautiful baby that was ever created in the entire history of the world, right? Well, that's what these parents are doing. They're bringing them to Jesus and they want a blessing. And then Jesus, when the adults in the area, because adults always seem to mess things up, and they say, stop, 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 stop. Jesus is too busy. He's got better things to do. He's got more important things to do. Jesus stops and says, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. So here's the question. What's it like to approach God as a child? More important, what's it like to approach as an infant? What, what does that mean? Now, you could say, well, you need to approach him innocently. Well, you may think that. I don't know too many three-year-olds that are innocent, honestly, because there's a mean streak already in some of them. But what he does mean, and think about the imagery here, because Jesus is talking to a culture where the child was at the bottom. In fact, it was a culture of honor and respect, and to get honor and respect, you had to actually do something. You had to produce something. You had to show a capability at something. And infants obviously can't do that. 
They're, they're helpless. They're, they're fully dependent on something else or someone else. And so what Jesus is saying in this, when, when children were at so little disrespect, and the fact that we have such great care for kids now shows the influence that Jesus has had on the world for the last 2,000 years. The fact that we would hold G, the kids in such high esteem now is because of the effect of Jesus in the world and his teaching and his message. That, that's, that's what we've inherited now. But in this culture, it was helpless and of not much value. And so, what's it like to come to Jesus? A child is fully dependent on the one holding us. So here's, here's the thing that I want us to take away. Come helpless and dependent on the one who is holding you. That we would come not on our own righteousness, not in our own confidence, not on our own resume, but you would come dependent on the one who is holding you. And very quickly, the last story is this. It says this, verse 18. And the ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And then he said, the ruler said this, All of these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all you have, distribute to the poor, and and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it then said, Who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, we've left our homes and followed you. And Jesus says, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time in the age to come eternal life. So this is an interaction. Luke wants to hear us. And so Jesus comes and there's, or a man comes to Jesus. This man is a righteous man and he's a wealthy man and he's got power. He's, he's a rich ruler, wealth and power. And he has this conversation with Jesus because what's he want to do? He wants to justify himself. He wants to explain himself to Jesus. And he asks this, what do I need to do to approach God? What do I need to do to have a relationship? And he says, it says you know the commandments. Jesus tells him, you know the commandments. And the guy says, I've kept all of those. What else? And he's looking to check off his list. And finally, Jesus knows. He knows the source of what he's holding on to way too tight. And he knows the power and the lure of wealth. So as you need to sell what you have and give it to the poor. At this point, it becomes very disheartening to the man because he finds such great dependence, such great security, such great trust in what he's amassed. And that's when Jesus has this very striking line that says, says that it's almost impossible. It's incredibly difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom. And the disciples react to this because they had seen if you had wealth, it meant that you were being blessed by God and you were close to the kingdom. You were a shoe-in at that point. And then so when they hear this teaching, they throw their hands up and says, well, who's going to come close to you? Who's going to come into the kingdom? Who can be saved then? That's when Jesus delivers this powerful line and says, what's impossible with man? 
is completely possible with God. And so, as we think about how do we approach God and the things that keep us at a distance, because God has come close to us, here's the last takeaway that I have for you. You come empty-handed so you can cling to Jesus. See, See, that's what he had. He had too much his hands were wrapped around that he was holding on too tightly to. And it was his wealth. And he found security in there. And the invitation is to come open-handed, arms wide open. So a, a beautiful imagery would be here, would be much like when I was a little boy and Dad would be in the swimming pool and he'd say, jump to me. And I would leap out trusting him. And then I saw it repeated again with my kids. And I'd be the one in the pool and say, leap to me. And with this unbelievable trust that I wasn't going to do something to harm them, they leap arms wide open. And there's the invitation to leap arms wide open, not clinging to anything else. Many of you may be familiar with the old hymn, Rock of Ages. One well, the hymn, Rock of Ages, there's this line. In my hand no prize I bring, simply to that cross I cling. And you need to know, it's because of the cross of Jesus that we can approach God. Jesus came, he died, and he rose again and said, no more with the distance, no more with the gap. Come and be in relationship. And that is the powerful invitation. That's what Luke wants us to walk away with from this chapter when he's given us all this description of who Jesus is. Come with no other prize but the ability to cling to the cross of Christ. I want to pray for you. So wherever you are, wherever you're around the country, around the world, this prayer is for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the approachable God because you're the one that's covered the gap between us. So Father, all the things that I want to put up, all the things that I want to do to keep you at arm's length from me, Father, I pray that those would be removed. That I'd come to you with open arms. I'd come to you on your righteousness, not my own. I'd come to you persistently because you are a just God. So, Father, I pray for all those that are hearing and experiencing this message. For those that are burdened in a season of life where it seems like they've been praying and praying and praying and praying and you're not listening, that you would encourage them to not lose heart you strengthen them and give them a perspective on the ways that you are at work. For those that are clinging too tightly to something, Father, something that gives us security, maybe something that we're finding comfort in that you're asking us to let go of. Maybe it's in our own righteousness, Father. Whatever it would be, they would ask us to open our arms and we'd leap into yours. And that we would, like children, be helplessly dependent on you. Father, I pray that you would help us to live that way this week. And I pray for all those that are hearing this, that that would be the way that we go forward. No longer distance. No longer seeing you as unapproachable. But seeing you as intimate and close. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.